This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Recently, the inclusion of China's A shares in MSCI's indices got a lot of media attention, but the announcement of Chinese bond inclusion in Bloomberg Barclays Global Aggregate Indices appears to have had less coverage. Despite being the world's second largest economy and having the third largest bond market, exposure to China remains low in global portfolios. Wilfred Wee, portfolio manager, explores a few reasons for investors to look at Chinese bonds as they increasingly evolve into a component of global portfolios. Wilfred is speaking to me now. What was this recent inclusion of uh, Chinese bonds in this index that I spoke about. What was the significance of that? And does it sort of open up a whole new universe for international investors? I'm indeed. Pleasure to be uh, at this podcast. Thank you. I think since we had the conditional inclusion announcement by the uh, Global Aggregate Index, this was just in March 2018, and there the index provider announced that it would conditionally include China into its uh, main global aggregate index come April 2019. I think since then, we've seen a step-up interest in engaging the uh, onshore Chinese bond market. Since then, uh, we've had very large institutional clients, especially from Europe, from the US, kind of ask us questions about this market. How would it fit into their portfolio? Because I think they're coming to a stage where they see large uh, market that would come into the index that they follow, potentially at an indicated 5.5% weight. That would be the fourth largest component, uh, currency component in the global aggregate. And they're going to have to scratch their heads and wonder, how does this uh, affect my portfolio? What does it do to returns? And uh, I think the inclusion really is about mainstreaming of an asset class, mainstreaming of Chinese fixed income. And as the uh, education happens right now, I think over time we will see the questions turn into actual dollars flow into China as uh, the asset class becomes fully embedded within global portfolios. Up until now, why has China been underrepresented in portfolios? Is it because of regulation? Is it because of lack of education? Is it because of suspicion? I suspect a few of those and a few other reasons as well. What is your take? Sure. I think, the, uh, as you say, the um, China is not in, in fact, many global portfolios. It's not even in the major indices. And I think the starting point is that, I think as you alluded to, investor access is still a little bit more challenging compared to other international markets. Chinese bonds are not euro-clearable yet by international standards. There was uh, still some questions on how you can do onshore hedging of uh, bond exposures. And those markets' instruments are just not available to offshore investors just yet. So I think the starting point is an emerging market bond that's still being understood uh, where access needs to be improved on. But over time, as China starts to open its doors and adhere to international operational standards, I think we would see um, Chinese allocations uh, go up. What role could Chinese bonds play in portfolios uh, from now and into the future? And also, would it mean that other bonds would be shunted aside because of interest in the China bonds? In other words, would Chinese bonds replace other bonds? I think the role of uh, Chinese fixed income, if you strip away all the headline noise about tariffs, 
about uh, concerns about leverage in the economy. You strip away all the headline noise, geopolitical risk and all, and you, you look at what Chinese fixed income actually represents. Uh, we did a piece last month, um, the case for Chinese fixed income, where we try to dissect what Chinese fixed income actually represents. And there we make a simple point that um, from Chinese government bonds, for instance, you get quality yield with significant pickup um, versus developed market peers. I think the level of use we are looking at in China is above uh, 3.5%. That number is less than 3% in the US, under 2% in the UK, under 1% in France and Germany, and uh, less than half a percent yield from bonds in Japan. You're already getting, I think, a significant pickup in yield, and that pickup comes with diversification benefits. The correlation of uh, returns between Chinese fixed income and global asset classes such as equities and global bonds is actually very low. So you get this pickup with added diversification benefits to your portfolio, so that could potentially improve the risk-adjusted returns of your portfolio. And I think the question is, how much, when do we add it, and how can it enhance my portfolio? Those would be the questions that investors will be faced to ask. And as you alluded to, I think at the expense of increased weights to China, there will be some countries where their weights will decrease over time. I think the natural contenders there would be the, the G3 currencies, the US dollar, the euro, and Japanese yen. We would see some rebalancing out of those currencies. But even some emerging markets could be somewhat uh, vulnerable to portfolio shifts away into China. And these would be uh, markets that, uh, that may be a bit more dependent on external financing uh, and where their weights and in indices uh, would have to drop as China gets included in, into their indices. Currency factors are, of course, key when it comes to investing in any Chinese asset class. And when I say currency factors, of course, I mean the renminbi. You recently wrote a piece on the globalization of the renminbi. What stage are we at at the moment and how important is that? Sure. The acceptance of um, the RMB as a reserve currency, as a globally used uh, medium of exchange, store of value, unit of account is key to uh, anchoring investor confidence in the currency. In that piece uh, written by my colleague Mark Evans and myself, we explore really the roadmap that China, we think, will have to take in the years to follow. Uh, and there really we boiled it down to three main areas. Firstly, uh, domestic financial market reforms. Secondly, capital account stabilization and liberalization. Uh, and lastly, really, it's about internationalization and the use of the RMB. And I think just to summarize it in a nutshell, domestic financial market reforms is about keeping your house in order, um, cleaning up the shadow banking system, uh, allowing really the levers domestically to work better and to price risk better. Um, capital account liberalization is about uh, managing your your gates, you know, and to, to being able to manage flows, uh, not to have sudden hot money come in and to leave the country. Um, and I think that uh, is a work in progress. And really, it's about ultimately uh, internationalization of the currency, using it as um, a major means of exchange, whether is it in uh, trade as it is already increasingly in the balance of payments usage, but also in infrastructure in areas such as uh, multilateral financing and even in currency uh, and commodity futures trading as well. So I think as the uh, currency begins to gain global acceptance, premised on increased uh, domestic reforms and capital account stabilization, we will see this currency become a major component 
in all global transactions. There has been a recent a very high-profile political summit in Singapore, and that was step one of a, what I see as being a long process. Can the same thing be applied to Chinese bonds and the acceptance of Chinese bonds by international investors and the acceptance of the renminbi? Do you think there are more steps to come? And if so, what are they? Yeah, I think you allude to something that's very, very structural. This uh, development is not you know, uh, a one-off or a cyclical fetish development but it is going to be a major development in most of our careers. We are going to see the uh, acceptance of uh, Chinese uh, assets. We've already seen that in equities, and fixed income, we believe, will follow shortly behind. But there will be some steps that will be needed. I think we talked about the conditional inclusion of China and the, the conditions um, that are being placed on China are fair ones. You know, They are re- more relating to operations. Um, broadly, it's about... Um, the uh, settlement process, the delivery versus payment, it's about block trading, it's about tax clarification, and these are areas which are pretty standard to uh, international investors. And I think the ball really is in the courts of uh, the Chinese to deliver on these operational requirements, and it's just, to me, a matter of willingness rather than ability, because technically it is easy to tick off these three boxes. So once these are ticked off, we should expect the inclusion to happen. Uh, but more broadly, I think the, uh, the, there is a general understanding uh, and recognition that in order for China to move forward um, and um, for the currency to be more accepted um, for overall economic stability, um, it boils down to more coherent macro policy making. And I think that's a lesson that the Chinese have learned. Uh, since 2015. And uh, going forward, we expect a lot more coordinated macro policy to anchor um, China's fundamentals uh, and to bring forward its uh, asset markets. Wilfred, thanks so much for your analysis. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.